Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by body activist and founder of the body activists, Serena Nangia. Serena wears many hats, not least as an advocate for eating disorder recovery, but also to elevate diverse voices for people of color and fat people, many of whom are often overlooked and underrepresented in this field. In 2017, she founded Rebel at American University, a peer education and prevention program that addresses body image issues and disordered eating. The origins of Serena's work are partly to do with her younger sister's eating disorder experiences. Serena uses an E.E. Cummings quote on her email and website, which pretty much sums her up. To be nobody but yourself, in a world which is doing its best, night and day to make you everybody else, means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. Serena, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. What a wonderful introduction. I'm so excited and thankful to you, Jenna. Thank you for inviting me. And um, wow, like to be seen like that right right at bat is really exciting because I do put that quote for a purpose because it's like my whole purpose. So um, thanks for sharing. Oh, that's a pleasure. I thought that because I thought, well, this is going to be the essence of you, isn't it? And uh, he says it. And said it so much better than I ever could. (laughs) Very eloquent. Mm, Well, thank you very much. So let's, I always uh, chastise myself for saying let's dive in, but I'm going to say let's dive in. Let's do it. (laughs) Because I know that you have a lot to say. Would you say that food is your friend or your foe? I obviously, I think that this question is very complicated. Um, And I think most people who've dealt with some level of disordered eating, um, not eating disorder even, but just disordered eating, um, have felt like food was a foe at one point or another. So I've definitely experienced, um, you know, being at odds with my relationship with food. But for the most part, um, I'm really excited and happy to say that food really is a friend. you know, as I started studying and working with people who have eating disorders, including, like you said, my own sister, mm. I've found that food is a friend. And because, you know, the real definition of a friend is it's necessary for life. You know, like sometimes it might be a pain in the ass, but it's there. Mm. It always <laughs> will be there. Sometimes we like it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel really disconnected from friends. Sometimes it connects us to family or nostalgic memories. Sometimes it makes us sick to our stomachs because we've had a bad experience with it. Um, and so I really think that friend friendship and my relationship with food doesn't mean that it's always a good relationship, or um, but rather that we recognize that we need it and we can't go our lives alone. Um, and it's a really dynamic experience. So um, that's kind of my relationship with it. It's always always ebbing and flowing. But yeah. That sounds very healthy and balanced. And I also, as I was listening to you, I was thinking that your relationship has clearly developed 
since mm-hmm. your experience, your uh, the first experiences with your sister and also through your work. So can we go back a little bit? Absolutely. Can we go back to how you were as a kid? Because I always think that's interesting and informative. Um, and the, how food was in your family and the messages that you received around food. And why did your sister develop an eating disorder, for instance, and you didn't? That's a lot. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's a great question. It's something that I've pondered for my whole life. Um, so my parents are both medical healthcare pro- practi- practitioners, um, and my dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. And so I've always come from that perspective of um, even while having conversations growing up, it's a lot of focus on – or some of the focus has been on like physical health. Um, and both of my parents, while my mom was thin when she was younger um, and my dad wasn't as thin, he's been in a larger body for most of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, they now are both in larger bodies. Um, you know, I don't think they would be offended by me calling them fat because I use fat as a descriptor. I call myself fat, um, which is a whole nother conversation in itself, but I'm happy to expand. Um, but growing up in, in that system where, you know, I often, my parents have gotten a lot better about it. It's been eight years since I started this work and they engage in conversations with me constantly, but mm-hmm. they often would be, you know, um, self-deprecative and not feel good about themselves um, and talk about how their relationship with food and kind of toxic ways, um, avoiding certain food groups because you think it's bad or like going on a diet um, and then introduce the medical system, going to doctor's appointments and then you know, I've been in a larger body, at least from my perspective, for my whole life. Um, whether that's true or not, I still don't know because I, that's just how I perceived it, um, at least as a kid. But I know I'm in a larger body now. But Did your um, parents, did their, did their parents, do you know anything about their background, their food background? Yeah, yeah. Um, your grandparents? My, my grandparents on my dad's side... Are, so I my last name is Nangia, so I'm um, half Indian um, and and half white um, and full American, but also my parents are British. So there's a lot of different factors that come into like play when it comes to my you know ancestry and heritage and in Indian culture, there's a huge focus on food um, and my my grandparents. Well, my grandmother on my dad's side, um, it was also ha- had a really hard experience with her body image for her whole life, and I mean, still struggles with it, and is also in a larger body. So, we were always, you know, something that a lot of fat people might identify with is um, talking about our bodies. Our parents talking about our bodies, like, oh, we're just big boned. Um, okay, yeah. And um, that I know that that made a really big impact on my sister. Um, I also have another sister and another brother. Um, and 
they both didn't get eating disorders, but they have also had their own um, body image issues as we all have. Um, and, you know, I just, with my experience um, and, you know, studying, working with eating disorders, we know that eating disorders are a bio, psychosocial, environmental um, disorder. So while I don't know how genetics can make one person more susceptible or another less susceptible, I'm sure that that was probably part of it. And then also my sister being involved and very focused on her social life and um, caring about what other people thought. Um, okay. So it's very complicated. It's very complicated. <laughs> and sometimes I think, yeah, it is down to all these factors that you've just mentioned. And then I swing in the other way and think it's just confusion. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a blanket term. You can just say it's a confused system or a confused state to be in or a disordered state to be in. And yet we give it all these labels, which is helpful and also limiting. can be unhelpful. Yeah, it can be limiting. So but obviously your sister's eating disorder had a huge impact on you. Mm-hmm. Why, why did it impact you so much? It's a great question. Um, you know, I really started contemplating body image and eating issues first and foremost within myself. Um, I, like I said, I've experienced, well, I've experienced like some forms of disordered eating. Um, what were they? Basically, like what I connect it to is really emotional, um, emotionally connected eating, which is not always a bad thing to have some emotion connected to eating. But no, not at all. Um, and it's actually really natural. But just like not feeling, for one reason or another, not feeling safe enough to eat when I was hungry all the time. Um, so. Like, especially in middle school, high school, I'd like come up after everybody went to bed and just eat. It was a reasonably sized meal and it was never binging, which is why I don't believe I had an eating disorder. Um, But I just felt like more comfortable eating alone sometimes. And I still do. Um, And what's, can I just dive into that a little bit? mm -hmm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Is that because you don't like to be observed? Is that because you, it's a... a sacred thing that happens that you feel you want to be on your own to do? Do do you know what it is? I'm not a hundred percent sure. And, you know, I, I really, you know, before this conversation, I was thinking about um, how being in a fat body affects all of this. And, and I personally don't have too much um, issue with like people watching me eat or anything like that, but there always have been and, are judgments, especially when you're in a larger body, no matter what you're eating. Um, So like, you know, if you're eating pizza or you're eating a salad, you kind of get stares. Um, Like if you're eating a pizza, why are you eating a pizza? Like you're fat. Or if you're eating a salad, why are you eating a salad? You're fat. Like fat people don't eat salads, which is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, But we have these preconceived notions. And so, Sometimes I find, you know, I was in a large family. We had six people and people were running all over the place. And I think a lot of my special 
time in the evenings, which is still, I, I'm a night owl. I love being up at night. It was because it was quiet and there was, I was allowed to be alone with my thoughts um, and not take care of other people or any of that, which is just what happens during the day when you're a part of a family. Um, so I think that that is likely partially related to it. It's just like, wow, I actually get to have a full experience with my food rather than be surrounded by constant conversation at the dinner table or like fighting um, at the dinner table, which sometimes would happen because we're a family. Um, mm. And do you think, sort of um, yeah, do you think that, do you think that being in a larger body is about uh, protection? On some level, and I'm not just saying if you're in a larger body, you're protecting yourself. There's all sorts of ways of protecting yourself. But I'm trying to link it to what you're telling me now and about having your own experience and having some peace and quiet. And I'm just wondering about the manifestation of the feelings. Yeah. And that that's what um, you do, you know, compared to someone else might do something different. Right. Well, you know, I think, um, I have not experienced binge eating disorder and, but, um, you know, and, and you can be any size and have binge eating disorder, yeah, but of, sure. often I would agree, um, scientifically and just like psychologically food and people in really large bodies, um, which no judgment if they're in larger bodies like no. they are often trying to protect themselves from um potential trauma because they've experienced past trauma um relate to that i i personally don't relate to that i've i have a lot of other ways that i protect quote unquote protect myself <laughs> yeah. from yeah. um from those sorts of things, I avoid, um, I shut down, I read to avoid. So I just completely avoid conversations and um, situations where, you know, in high school, especially if there was something traumatic going on, I was just like, stay away from it. Um, and what was and, high school like? You know, I, I didn't have too bad of an experience at actual school. Um, I within my family, my mom has been chronically sick for basically my whole life. And so, um, I, you know, my senior year, most of my senior year, my mom was in the hospital in and out of the hospital with a variety of issues. And, um, that's really hard, isn't it? Is that why you had yeah. to di dive in? That's really tough. I'm sorry to hear that. Is that why you had to dive in and take care of your younger sister? Yeah, well, I I really, while not being a financial partner in in the family, <laughs> um, so to speak, you know, um, it's commonly known in my family. We talk about it all the time that I was a second mother. Um, my wow. younger siblings are triplets, um, three wow. years younger than me, so they all came at the same time. And there's only so much that um, you know. My dad's a doctor; he's working like all day to provide for us. My mom, when she became sick, started staying at home um, to take care of us. But then also as she got more sick, um, she was 
less able to provide physically, even though she was definitely and continues to be an emotional support for me. Um, as so, I go ahead. Mm, no, I'm just so struck by this. It's so um, moving and I could be on completely <laughs> the wrong track, but, and, and again, this is not judgmental at all. I'm using your, your language and language that you're mm -hmm. comfortable with, but is it, you know, so then, then you had to be like the second mum and you're known as the second mum. So there is, I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the big arms of the mother embracing mm -hmm. this, this family that actually is her family, but isn't her family because she's not the mother and having to have the, the size to do that. Obviously it's a psychic size, but mm -hmm. there's something that happens physically that corresponds. Do, do you see what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at? I yeah, I see you have to I've hold. never thought about it. Yeah. That you hold, you're holding the family because mm -hmm. dad's away working, mum's not very well. And you're like, I've got this. Yeah. And I wonder what that, yeah. I just, what do you think of that? No, it's, I think it's a really cool per, um, discussion to have. And I've honestly never thought about it that way. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, the first thing that really resonates with me is, so I've watched, um, I've been watching Encanto, which is one of the new Disney Pixar, I think, movies. Um, okay. And one of the sisters has a song that is something like, um, it's talking about holding everything on your shoulders. And she has this superpower where she's literally the strongest, like she's really super strong. Um, um, and she's talking about the pressure of like, give it to your sister. Like she knows what to do. She's like, takes care of it. And she also like the way that they, they um, pictured her uh, is in a larger body and very tall and muscular and um, like, able to hold the weight of everything that she feels she's holding. Um, and that makes me really think about, um, you know, how, cause I really connect to that song, um, and feel so seen by it. Cause I'm like, wow, I really did take on a lot. Even if nobody asked me to, I felt like I was the person who was there and, and I did it. Um, because, I guess that's just who I was. and um. Yeah, I, I, um, we're going to go for a quick break. I don't want to. Sure, sure. But um, <laughs> I just think our bodies do these incredible things mm -hmm. and, and kind of live their own lives with kind of without us knowing. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I'll take, let's take a quick break. <laughs> Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with the lovely Serena and just before the break, we were talking about the mind-body connection. Actually, we had a quick chat about it in the break. How disconnected we are. Well, I think, okay, I'm just going to say, I think as a society, <laughs> we're extremely disconnected from, from our minds and our bodies. And um, we're also very judgmental. And there's we live in a polarizing society. Um, and we're just, I was just struck by the extraordinary nature of our body to do one thing. Um, to, to help us emotionally or in times of stress that we might not be aware of. What do you reckon, Serena? Am I talking rubbish? <laughs> you know, I, I often uh, do. I often do. <laughs> no, I completely agree with, agree with you. Um, our bodies do amazing things in order to protect us. And, um, and whether that is 
you know, I don't know how that relates to me. This is the first time I really thought about it. And it's really, like I said, blowing my mind. Um, but yeah, like having worked with people with eating disorders, our bodies and our minds, like our body is trying to protect our minds. Our mind is trying to protect our mind and then it manifests in our body. Yeah. And we might not even, we usually don't understand why it's happening. But exactly. Exactly. Everything has a purpose. Yes. And consciousness comes before matter, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So you might think that you have it and you have the thought, but actually there's a whole host of other thoughts wriggling around underneath running the mm -hmm. show. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you had to look after your sister, which must have been really something. Mm -hmm. is, is your, can I just ask, is your sister well now? She is, yeah. Um, she, so luckily, because my parents are healthcare practitioners, they noticed her eating disorder a little bit earlier than probably other people might, um, but also later than you might expect. So she was struggling on and off with, you know, diet culture and just really bad body image issues. I found out since fifth grade, which is around 10 years old. So she dealt with those issues for around a decade um, and got outpatient help with a nutritionist and has been seeing a therapist um, in high school. And then she's now a very, you know, healthy, anxiety-ridden um, and depression-filled still because <laughs> That's who we are. Um, college student, and she's in her third year of college. She's studying to be a doctor, and she is an EMT, emergency medical technician, or something like that. Um, so, are those are those so. the family themes? Are the family themes about helping the outside world, but internally, in the internal world, in the family world, it's depression ridden and it's anxious. Is that? Yes. <laughs> yes, I've never felt more seen and exposed. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. Listen, oh, I've, no, got, no, no, I've no. got a host of stuff I could tell you about my family. Isn't no, that we're fascinating? very open about it. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Like the conduit for all of that. It's incredible. You know, my parents, their professions are to help other people. And then... Um, I help people with eating disorders and my younger sister Ellen is studying to be a doctor. Sophia is studying social work and helps homeless folk. Um, and then my brother is like a businessman and well, he's, he wants to be a businessman and I'm not sure what his plans are yet. Um, but yeah, it's, well, it's a perfect then, training ground, isn't it? It, it is. Well, you know, like, well done we, you guys is what I want to say. It's like, yeah, you picked, oh, chose well. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's just been so much of a focus on helping others in our life. Like I could never, even starting my own business has been difficult because while I know I'm going to be helping others, it's like my business is a for-profit business and I'm like, wow, should I really be taking money from people? But I'm yeah. like, well, well yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I know I have that struggle too. And um, it doesn't it doesn't serve well, does it, when you can't pay your mortgage or yep. your rent or you can't put food on your table yeah and it is yeah it's a currency so yeah mm -hmm. I, I hear you okay so you're helping your sister you mm -hmm. go to college which is what when you're 
And you started becoming interested in helping people with body image issues and eating disorders at college when it started to really form? Yeah, it was it was there below the surface. I was engaging with people in dialogue in high school um, about my own body image, but it really took off when I got to college and noticed the lack of dialogue, I suppose, the lack of constructive dialogue. There's always, you know, call it body bashing or fat talk where people are like talking about their bodies and re- in a really negative ways. Um, but lack of constructive and um, dialogue is kind of what I saw. Um, I'll let you ask the next question or move on. Yeah, I'm just thinking about resilience and I'm thinking about the the shame that comes your way. And I don't think you feel shame, but I imagine you get some, well, you've already alluded to it. I imagine you get some comments and some nasty things said. Oh, yeah. And... But I think it bounces off you. You know, I think um, I'm actually a very, I'm a highly sensitive person. And, sure, sure. Um, I didn't mean you weren't sensitive. No, 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 no. I present myself very much like, um, it's strange, you know, it's strange what bounces off and what doesn't. Okay. I think as I have done this work, I've realized a lot of the insensitive and cruel comments are from ignorance. And um, while I don't um, think it's okay to say horrible things about people, no matter their size, um, uh, it's often out of fear. Um, You know, I understand where it comes from. And so then I'm not as hurt by it because I understand that other people are hurting too. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Back to helping them. Back to helping them with their own psychology. <laughs> Common theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just also, you've thrown yourself into the the arena, haven't you? You've chosen mm-hmm. to work in, to work with people's distorted views about their body image, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And to, and to have the dialogue and to, um, well, as I said in your introduction, to uh, elevate diverse voices. Mm-hmm. And to you're championing the little people, aren't you? Ugh, not little people. You know what I mean. Like no, yeah, people. yeah. Less repre- underrepresented, underrepresented. Folks, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, so so how did it? How, how did you do it? Did you set up a club? Did you run a seminar? How did it start? Yeah. So um, you know, like you mentioned, I. So I was a part of a club called Rebel in high school, and it was a regional nonprofit organization that started having these conversations about body image and eating disorders and educating their students. And then we educated each other. And it was it's really cool. Um, and um, I'm going to cut in. Sorry, I'm really talking over you. What, do you, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think are the main um, feelings around people's body image is it enough to say I'm just not good enough and I'm not lovable do you think those are Mm -hmm. the main two you know I think those are often the underlying issues but not people aren't 
especially young people aren't as aware of those feelings. And so they manifest as, oh, I hate my body. I have like, why do I look fat? And because in our society, fatness is equated to being unlovable in many ways, at least that's what I, I don't believe that's true, but I believe that's what some people believe. Yeah. Um, that that's how it manifests. I think some of the the main ways that yeah that body image issues show up in young people is um like I said not feel, like feeling fat um you know there's a study that something like 80% of girls under 10 years old already feel like they're fat is um, it that high wow it's it's really high um and you know, there's a, a host of a ton of facts that come that I didn't bring up, but um, feeling fat and, you know, a lot of comparison between, you know, somewhat on social media. I think celebrities definitely make an impact, but I think the most impactful, one of the most impactful things is comparing ourselves to our peers because it's like when a celebrity looks a certain way, some people can rationalize, oh, they have personal trainers, they have unlimited time, they have unlimited resources and money and nannies and everything. But then when you look at your peer who's also 15 years old and is in a thin body and, you know, does whatever, you don't know what's going on in their life, but you see, you're like, well, I should be able to achieve that. When in reality, we all have different body types and healthy looks different for different people. Um, and you really don't know what's going on. Like, I know a lot of people have eating disorders. You have no idea because um, even though eating disorders are stereotyped as really thin white women, um, that's not that's not true that eating disorders can manifest in many different ways um, that is a stereotype isn't it and i've looked at the people i've interviewed it's that you know white middle class girl um yes i've looked at the diversity of people who've been on, coming on the podcast and the podcast is young but that's yeah. still it's still kind of um it still kind of holds true really uh yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it's about opportunity and, well, funding. A lot of it's about funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to get, yes, let's not get sidetracked by that because I want to hear more <laughs> about you. Um, I want to ask you, I might, we might go for another quick break as well, but I want to ask you about how you feel about being in your body. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to talk a bit about your experiences with um people with eating disorders and if you think the reasons are the same as for for sort of struggling with body image but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back welcome back to this food thing podcast i'm here with serena before the break can you hear my husband talking in his office serena is it just me and my headphones can you hear someone I can't. I can't hear him. I could hear um, his phone ringing, but did you? Okay. Yeah. Maybe my sound engineer will be able to wipe it out. Sometimes I make videos, and he walks in the background through the kitchen <laughs> in his pajamas or something. Well, they're not pajamas. It's like a kind of sweatshirt and yeah, sweat trousers. Type. 
very attractive. <laughs> what I happens. love sweats. Yeah, me too. It's what happens after years of marriage. Can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about reasons for the main reasons for um, uh, distorted body image, not feeling good enough, not feeling lovable. I've flagged it up before in other podcasts. I do think that's the bedrock of all of it. And I imagine you would say, or do you say that that's the bedrock of, of eating disorders as well in your experience? What would you say sort of quickly? Yeah, you know, I um, have to preface this and remind people that I'm not a trained therapist and um, I know everything I know because of um, learning from other people's lived experiences as well as um, researching and, and reading a lot um, and working with people who um, have eating disorders in a non-clinical sense. Um, you know, a lot of the work that I do is centered around fat phobia, which is um, a systemic issue, and we'll get into it, but a lot of, you know, eating disorders manifest from trauma and like you said, feeling unloved and, and all these things. Um, but I think, also yeah, I think trauma is massive. Yes. Go on. Well, trauma is the huge trauma is huge. like the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what my work is centered around is recognizing, acknowledging and working against systemic issues that are actually creating the problem. Um, so you can never get rid of, people's trauma. You can never get rid of all the bad people in the world that are going to cause trauma. Um, and so eating disorders might always exist. However, we can lessen them and help people if through systemic change, which will take centuries, um, you know, to make actual change, we see being fat is not a bad thing. Um, or being in our body at its natural weight and size is as a normal thing. And then when we stop working against our actual bodies, um, we, it's, you know, it's going to be harder to develop an eating disorder. And with the systemic issues, we have to recognize, you know, it's not a personal, sometimes it's really not like completely a personal issue. Like if, if you are a fat person or you are like someone who is seeing a fat person be mistreated, be under um, underpaid, be you know not have medical or healthcare access, not get into eating disorder treatment, not all of these things, then you're more likely to not want to be a part of that group because you don't want to not have access to things. So then you want to be, you might want to be thinner or smaller. Um, yeah, because the stereotype is that you're lazy and you're underachieving right. and mentally less capable. The list goes on, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's, I would say, along with trauma being one of the main things, um, is this the systemic issues that people, you know, it's clinicians often are working on a one-on-one -on -one basis and don't have the time um, to work against systemic issues, which is why people like me exist. So um, I can be, you know, working against those issues while also helping people and having people provide safe and equitable care for people of all sizes. But also, you know, in throughout history, larger bodies have come in and out of fashion. If you look at, mm -hmm. I don't know, Renaissance art or yes. cultures today, 
it also was a sign of being wealthy because you were fed. Exactly. Maybe it's mm-hmm. good because in the Western world, we've just got too much of everything. You know, you know, I, I just consuming everything, aren't we? Whatever we can it's, get our hands on. It's really, it's a really strange concept. And the reason that we know that, you know, the, that the thin ideal is a construct, is a beauty construct, is because it has changed. Yeah. That's what the definition of a construct is. It changes over time yeah. with different societal issues. And so, um, you know, 50s Marilyn Monroe used to be it. And in the 90s and early 2000s, it was stick thin. And now it's like this slim, thick thing. And it's all unachievable to, you know... 95% of the population cannot achieve a thin ideal naturally. It's only and, 5%. Yeah, and also it's about the dollar, isn't it? It's capitalism. Yep. It's about selling and making money and making a profit when you distill it all down. And it's all ridiculous. Well, and you know what I find really fascinating in the work that I do is um, the fashion industry and generally like companies that make clothes actually lose money by being, I don't want to say bigoted, but like, you know, discriminatory against larger folk because it's 65% of the women in the U.S. are over a size 14, which is apparently plus size. Um, And that's, if you refuse to sell to 65% of the of the female population, um, it can't, it can't simply be capitalism in my point. It doesn't make sense in a capitalistic society to go against what you would be making money, um, with. So sometimes it's just like, wow, there's just a huge discrimination and these companies don't want to make money. Um, which is why you're starting to see a trend with places like old Navy and, and places that are making big strides to include, larger sizes is not necessarily out of the kindness of their hearts, even though it has a good impact. Um, it's because they're going to make more money. Okay. Okay. So do you <laughs> think it's just prejudice? Do you think it's just about pointing the finger and saying you over there, you're different? Do you think that's just the, this, the age we're living in, the ideology? I don't think so necessarily. I think I, I think a lot of discrimination and bigotry is um, below the surface and we don't know it exists. So, you know, it's a really hard question because I don't know what's going on in the minds of companies and um, companies and people. But I I really think that a, a lot of business owners feel like they're doing what is best and just what they know. And then part of what I want to do in with the body activists is educate company leaders and companies about how it, things might be harmful and how they can actually, you know, not, not be harmful to a large percentage of the population. Um, so I know that you're a, a community speaker. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that you, that you do? Do you go into companies and, and talk? How how do you? Yes. What is that your main is that your main message? The harm that's being caused. Yeah, you know, I I've just started the body activists in September um, of 2021, and you know now it's 
it's a 2022, I'm trying to start it up. And one of my main goals is to work on programs and trainings to help all sorts of organizations, not to, um, you know, put place blame because placing blame is honestly, I don't think unless you know, you're a lawmaker and you need to be called out. Um, I don't, and, and, you know, calling out every once in a while is okay, but in a, but in a productive way that is not creating enemies because, you know, even like if you call out a company in public, they're not so likely to make changes. Um, that's why I want to work internally with them to, just identify practices that might be harmful, um, whether it's with their employees or their clients or the way that they market themselves, um, and help them find ways to be more open and accepting and bring in different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. Inclusive. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a change of attitude. Yeah. Um, all your information will be on our Instagram page for mm-hmm. our listeners so you can check out what Serena's up to. A question that I wanted to ask you earlier is how do you feel in your body? And obviously it yes. changes all the time because we all change all the time. I feel differently, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. But what's the main feeling? Does it feel like home? Yeah, Um you know, people are often surprised because I'm in a larger body that I feel safe and secure and homey and comfortable in my body. And I honestly, I, I do. And it's taken me eight years of actual work to get to this place. Um, and of course, I have days where I don't like my body or certain, you know, mm. it always happens. Um, the hardest thing for me recently has actually been accepting my full self, not necessarily my body, but who I am and and where I want to go. And um, because not everybody loves, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a disruptor. That's what activism is. And um, I've had to really accept that in myself, but also learn how to be disruptive in a good way while also working across, um, you know, lines. And that's been the hardest thing for me to accept about myself because other people don't like it. And that's hard to, to be alone, feel alone, um, out in the world. So it's, um, you know, since I found body acceptance, almost my narrative has shifted from, worrying about my body to worrying about like what people think of me and if I'm doing the right thing and that sort of thing, which yeah. are good things to think about. But, um, I, yeah. uh, yeah, I have this, uh, you're like a superhero. No, I have this, I had this image of, uh, <laughs> well, well, A, I thought if you're, you know, you're being authentic, that's disruptive mm-hmm. in itself because you're not exactly. just maintaining and upholding the status quo and going along with, yep. the, you know, the masses. And I also thought, well, you obviously want to do big things and Mm -hmm. you're going to, and, and that's, you're going to need a lot of power for that, you know? Right. And obviously that's what I'm building. Yeah. Whatever was shifted onto your body is now out there and in your, I don't know, in your heart and your mind and it will be your, your energy. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 
I like totally your agree. Life, your life force, yeah. which is wonderful, which is just wonderful. Serena, if you were going to go to a, an island, any island, and you were to take five foods with you, you can have a store cupboard, condiments, olive oil, salt and pepper, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What would you take with you? Um, so my first and um, greatest love <laughs> is pasta. Um, <laughs> I will always be a pasta fan and I refuse to be ashamed of it. No, great. Um, okay. You're just <laughs> taking plain pasta, are you? I don't know. If I have some salt, I, I mean, I'd love to like throw some, maybe some carbonara in there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you take, I'm going to let you take spaghetti carbonara. Wow. As Thank one, you. one food, you've got four left. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I said Sprite. I don't know if drinks count. Yeah. Yeah. You can take I Sprite. I love s- Sprite. Okay. Um, chocolate, of course. What kind of chocolate? Uh, um, like I'm sitting right next to like some Lindor milk chocolate. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Leftover from Christmas. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chips and salsa is like one of my snack foods I love. Um, yeah. And I've been really on this like coconut shrimp kick. So oh. I'm, f- I'm feeling, I wanted to throw some protein in there. So I don't. Okay. Um, you don't, don't have to eat on the sugar and just <laughs> run, run around the island going mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, protein keeps you full longer. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. To support all the madness, Serena, thank you so much for coming on this food thing. It's been an absolute joy to speak to you. Thank you so much. It is the same for me, and I'm really happy to be on. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favourite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at This Food Thing Podcast, or join us again in the next episode. <laughs>